Let's get ready to rumble. Here we go, episode 56 of the Hibs Ramble. We are back. It's the full Monty today. Well, it's not as kind of half Monty because it's just the two of us, me and Sean. Sean, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. All the better for the recent appointment. Buzzing. Yeah. Yeah, well, funnily enough, um, the international break, there's not been a lot to talk about, so we'll just dive into it. If you look over my left shoulder and Sean's left shoulder, you'll see the man himself, Nick Montgomery, appointed today as a as our new head coach on a three-year deal. Sean, I know when we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, you, when we done our sort of realistic, half-realistic and dream appointment, both of us, like I think I'd flip-flopped between Montgomery and someone else. I can't even remember who my other choice was. I think it may have been Robinson. Yeah, it was, yeah. You, you delivered quite, a, quite an inspirational monologue based on Nick Montgomery. So what was your, I think it's been pretty much confirmed for, it's been one of the worst kept secrets in Edinburgh over the last couple of days, but what was your initial reaction this morning when you woke up and seen that Montgomery being confirmed? Glad that Ben Kenzel's finally listened to something that I've said on the board, clearly. <laughs> um, I was just, for a while, I've said it on loads of episodes before, that we've not really had a manager that I've really been behind like I've been behind the club um but this appointment I was excited for I was looking forward to it um and it was one that I just kind of wanted us to get over the line and just give it a go <clears throat> my only concern and reservation with it is that he doesn't like any other Hibs manager in recent times doesn't get the time he needs to implement everything he needs to get um and I've with what he brings to the table and the strengths that he's got, not only to improve the starting eleven, but the squad as a whole, and maybe the club as a whole. I think it's if he's given the time, it only do the club the world a good. I thought it was interesting that in the press conference this morning with Nick Ben and Ian, that when the question was put to Ben Kensel about, you know what what this appointment means, etc. And he, he made, re- I don't know his words verbatim, but he made reference to the club's principles and the club's identity not really being, like they've been searching for it for a while. And they feel that with Montgomery, they've actually got it this time. What does that say for, and I think he also made reference to as well, that they know the track record. So I think, you know, even publicly admitting that they've been through too many managers in such a short space of time. What does that say for the club, the way the club's been operating over the past few years that obviously they backed Johnson heavily in the three transfer windows that he had, but they still didn't feel like the identity was right. What what do you feel is different about Montgomery that they've obviously seen in their initial conversations that means that he's he's going to be the one to throw the weight behind? I think it's principles, the principles that he's got um, and what he believes in in regards to being able to get the best out of what he has at his disposal, um, considering the job that he'd done at Central Coast Mariners on what was classed as one of the worst budgets in the league. At one point, when he was involved with the club, Central Coast Mariners were deemed the worst-run sports club, not just football club, but sports club in the whole of Australia. So that goes across like the A League, the AFL, the Aye, the full every every sport. 
uh, every sport, not just football. Um, so I think to see the transition that he's been able to make to a club like Central Coast Mariners and what he's been able to bring in regards to the development of certain players, which I know we'll get on to, um, these are all key attributes that we as a club at Hibs should have at the forefront um, of our minds and at the forefront of basically the person that's in show in the shop window for the club, yep. so to speak. And I think that you are right. I know Ian mentioned it in the press as well, um, the points that you make about maybe going through too many and we've been searching for someone like Nick. And I did like the fact that I assume that, I mean, they would have just said it regardless anyway, but I assume they were correct in what they were saying when they were said that Nick was their only target, their first target. That was the one they wanted and they were going to go all out to go and get him. Yeah. So it's quite good that to hear that. It's quite good to see that we've been able to pull that off as well. And I think, like I said, the stuff that he kind of brings to the club and what he stands for and his principles, I think it could end up being a wee bit of a coup for the club, if I'm honest. Aye, no, I don't disagree. I think when you look at it, um, if, for me, if you, for a manager, if you want to have a sort of checklist, right, what Hibs fans would expect for a manager, I know this This is about that whole mythical Hibs way and Hibs class and, and all of that, right, but I said it, I done a podcast with Graham Spears last night um, and uh, if you want to go and listen to that, check out Pressbox. Um, I've been everywhere recently, mate, I can't help it. Um, I think it's, if it, for me, it has a whiff of Tony Mowbray about it. And I have absolutely nothing substantial to back that up because Mowbray came in without the, even, I know Montgomery's only managed 59 games, but he's been extremely successful. But if you look at the sort of toolkit for a Hibs manager in terms of what fans want, entertaining football, promoting youth, and not just putting them in for a token five, ten minutes here and there, promoting them and actually giving them a chance. Ultimately, if they're good enough, they'll play regularly. Um, I don't... Th but what I think he is, he seems to be the type of manager that won't cut his nose off to spite his face. He seems like the kind of guy that I dare say Ethan Laidlaw would have liked in charge last year. Um, guys that are in, the, in and around the team just now, teams uh, guys like Kanai Omegwa, who we... We we probably the we the founder members of the Kanaya Mega HSC guys like Rudy Balotnikov, even Ruben McAllister. Be interesting to see what happens with him. But for me, he has this sort of identity that I would want as a Hibs manager. Um, and I think that in terms of giving them time, you know, it was referenced about will he be given time? And for me, I believe that if there's if there's signs there then time will be given. I think we're at the stage now where we can afford to be a little bit patient, not too patient, obviously, but a little bit patient in the regard that if, if supporters can see what was happening, and I think that was a big deal with Johnson, is that nobody could see what was happening. The scattergun approach to recruitment, the scattergun approach to team selection, the scattergun approach to tactics, it changed for what, you know, it became a running joke, the Johnson tombola what's being pulled out this week. And from what I've seen in Montgomery and the Mariners, admittedly, 
the only Mariners game I've seen was the grand final, which was some game to actually watch. But they're very much a straight 4-4-2, as almost as basic as it can be, without insulting, obviously, players and coaches and all of that. So it'll be interesting to see how he tries to adapt that level of, you know, the way he coaches and manages to Scottish football. But like I said, I do think it's it just ticks every box. I mean, you look at his his track record, um, and to, even in terms of his longevity, he was in the Sheffield United first team for 12 years. He's been coaching, playing, coaching, and then managing at the Mariners for a good 10, 11 years. So I don't, I don't see it that he's going to up. Even if we are successful, up sticks and leave. I reckon he's got it in him to actually leave a legacy before potentially moving. I've rambled. I've just went off on such a fucking tangent there. Um, you're, you're right. You're right in what you've said though, and he makes reference to it in his interview with Sky Sports that he was posed the question about there's not a Hibs manager since 2001 that's lasted longer than three years. So how can you see yourself lasting that long? And then he made reference to the points that you've literally just made about his playing career and his coaching career in regards to the clubs that he's been at and the length of time that he's been at. Um, Just touching on the whole 4-4-2 situation, obviously we we played 4-4-2 at home just the other week in the the qualifiers and we looked really, really good in that 4-4-2. It looked like we had the right balance. It looked like we... We had the right players in the right positions and lo and behold, when you do that, most of the time you're going to play well. So he might use that as a template, even if it's just the start or something to work off of. He's, I mentioned it the other the other week there, where you want someone that's a, a top, top manager and a man manager where they can get the best out of their players regardless of you know shape or philosophy and formation and all that. And you are right in what you're saying, a 4-4-2 is as basic and as, as throwback as it can go. But that won't have any impact on the quality that we'll have in that starting 11 or what he's going to ask from them. doesn't matter what formation we end up playing or what style of play we end up playing. I firmly believe that we're going to get a much better quality version of like a David Martin, Dale at Livingston, where they'll, they'll work their socks off and they'll put everyone on the pitch. Um, I know it's a pretty shit comparison, but it's the yeah. one closest to home that people can maybe make reference to. Um, the style of football is different, completely different to the, the example I'm just going to use, but like Simeone at Atletico Madrid, like his players, whoever he picks, 4-4-2 will die on that pitch for him. And I yeah. firmly believe that if the players buy into what Nick Montgomery's wanting, we will get the Hibs equivalent of that. And I can only base that on what I've seen, what I've watched, whether it be games or the documentaries or his interviews and stuff like that over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think well, the, the thing is as well, it can as well be seen that, you know, a hard to beat sort of team like Martindale's, right? But Martindale doesn't have at his disposal players like Martin Boyle, Ellie Yuan, Joe Newell, Dylan Levitt. Dylan Venti, um, you know, they're not workman-like players in terms of, you know, they're not, you know, Joe Newell's not a give me it and pass it five yards. Joe Newell's a pick his head up and try a diag or carry the ball 25, 30 yards. So I think the the style of players that we've already got married with how he wants to play will actually fit in 
really, really well. I mean, you, you touch on the, the man management aspect, and I think, you know, there's there's always a sort of chubby for Hibs players that have left, you know, we like to follow their careers. You see how the, <clears throat> you know, as soon as we drew Villa in the cup, it was like a dream for a Hibs admin, um, you know, to start pime, sort of piping out the John McGinn content. But, you know, there's a that group of players that won the cup will always hold a special place for us. And I think we just like to follow their careers and see what happens. And Jason Cummins has went from, I mean, he went in the space of about, what, eight months, nine months for being an absolute no-hoper, chucked out of training for Dundee because he was allegedly hungover for being on stage at Open Goal the night before, to representing Australia at the World Cup. And then a few months later, scores a hat-trick in the grand final to win the Mariners' second, I think it was only their second of our grand final that they've won. And he, I mean, there's a there's a clip, you see it after the game when the sort of players are all running about and they're hugging everybody. He grabs Montgomery and he pulls him in. He's like, you changed my fucking life, mate. You, it's either you changed my life or you saved my life, one of the two. And I think with someone like Cummins, who cause, you know, has got a reputation of being quite a difficult character, if you can get his buy-in, then surely he should be able to get the buy-in for, for players that we've got at the club just now. Surely he's, you know, you'll, surely he's the perfect example that Montgomery can stick his photo up on the board and go, most of you players know him, you know of him, a few of you have played with him, You've seen where he was, now look where he is. Obviously not bigging himself up to be like, oh, I'm the fucking main man, I've done it all. But if you believe in what I say, you can do the same. I think what was what was huge from, uh, I think what was huge from that is the fact that he was able to kind of sell the the Australian prospect to Jason. I know Jason has spoke at length and in, in interviews and stuff like that since being over in Australia that he's always wanted to go over there and play. He's yeah. always thought about potentially representing Australia and things like that. But that chat that he had with Nick Montgomery prior to moving over gave him that platform to take him to where he is at the moment. Obviously, the way that Jason's applied himself and the way that he has been playing over there um, doesn't really come as a surprise to those who know what Jason Cummins can bring to the table. And Nick referenced that in the Central Coast Mariners All Access documentary, which is on the Keep Up uh, YouTube channel, if you've not already watched it. Brilliant insight to the club, brilliant insight to... Uh, Jason's development at the time and brilliant insight to Nick as well. And it really, really good. You really get a good insight of what that relationship was like during that time. Yeah. Um, and just the whole togetherness that Nick was able to bring to the club because it can be quite difficult bringing a player with that supposed reputation into the club and then trying to get the other players to buy into it. Yeah. Um, but they all bought into what Nick was wanting, the vision that he had both for the team as a whole and the individuals. And it was came as no surprise from the outside it did in regards to how well Central Coast Mariners were doing, but consistently how well they were doing as well um, didn't really come as a surprise considering how consistently he was bringing through top talent. Um, I think there's at least five or six now that have maybe made big moves or even big money moves in a couple of um, examples 
over into European football. And a lot of that, again, comes down to Nick, his man management, and he's able to, or his ability, sorry, to progress young talent and get the best out of them. Yeah, well, you reference the young talent. There's six players that, well, five that I think a lot of people all know, one that probably not so familiar. But you've got, <clears throat> obviously, there's Kai Rolls at Hearts, uh, Birgitte, who's at Dundee United. I know he's been absolutely pummeled over the past year. But, uh, you know, when he left the Mariners, he was in the A-League team of the season. Was the best so, goal so was Kai Rolls, and Lewis Miller was in the team of the season at one point. Lewis Miller obviously came to us for the Mariners, well, via MacArthur, I think. Uh, Sammy Silvera, who Hearts, I believe, were in for in the summer, ended up moving to Middlesbrough. James McGarry, who signed for Aberdeen at the start of the season. And uh, Garan Cool, who was at Hearts last season. I know he didn't really pull up trees at Hearts, um, but, <clears throat> you know, if Newcastle, with all their money, are seeing something in them, there must be a player in there. So there's six examples of players who've developed at the club and managed to get moves across to sort of mainstream top level European football I say European football I mean from Australia to Europe and you wouldn't really find that at a lot of you know you'd maybe find maybe two or three even maybe only one or two getting those big moves um, in a summer but you know the space about 12 to 18 months he's managed to move on six and yet he still managed to retain the core of his squad to go on and win the grand final. It's, I know we, we we do need to sort of caveat it all with the fact that this sort of move is a risk. You know, he's leaving a very secure job in a team that was really unfancied, that probably had next to no pressure about them, to a team where, for the fan base, I believe that a lot of the you know, the pressure's going to be on him straight away in terms of, I don't think supporters will accept another period of transition. You know, we're in this perpetual period of transition that never seems, seems never ending. But I think the fact that he's, you know, he's he referenced as well that his family's coming over, that's a big thing. He's wanted to set roots down in Edinburgh, which obviously, you know, guys like Heckenbottom, Jack Ross, Sean Maloney, um, Lee Johnson didn't do, you know, they kept their families separate and had the everything here. And obviously he's bringing his coaching staff with him as well. Uh, Sergio Raimundo and Miguel Miranda, his assistant and his goalkeeping coach, who are still, who are going to complete the backroom team with David Gray. And looking into the, you know, the when you look at a coach or a manager, you know, you see guys like Alex Ferguson had you know, Archie Knox with him for so many years, Brian Kidd for so many years, Steve McLaren, Carlos Quiros, all these guys. And I think it's interesting when you look at, especially Raimundo's journey with him, you know, they've went from winning the academy sort of reserve league in Australia, creating that pathway, developing young players. They've then went on to do that for the first team. And this could, you know, especially for, you know, the guys came from Benfica, he's worked with players like Bernardo Silva and Joao Cancelo, who's, you know, you can, everybody knows who they are. For guys like JR, seeing someone like him coming in, this could be a massive boost for him. Guys like, you know, when you talk about man management, players like Harry McCurdy, 
who might be a bit of a rage, but clearly needs he needs somebody to tell him you're a you're a good player. He doesn't need somebody telling him, but you're a fucking ban. Like what are you playing at? Um, so while we need to, like I say, acknowledge that bringing them in, no experience in Scottish football, blah blah blah, is a risk. For me, it's just an appointment I can't help get excited about and think about what what could come. And that's based on, a, like I said, a, a limited CV so far, but an incredibly successful CV in terms of on the pitch, but also developing a real solid sort of foundation off the pitch from the academy all the way through the first team. Yeah, I think any of the names that were bandied about, I actually think any of them would have been a risk in some way, shape or form. Um, if we use like Stephen Robinson or Derek McInnes as an example, they weren't overly fancied by a lot of people um, from the fans aspect of it. So if they didn't start well... We're seen as like the, act, same, the same. They were. But then if they didn't start well, fans would have been on their back a yep. lot quicker. Um, the, the Neil Lennon appointment could have split the support down the middle. Again, if he didn't get it right early doors, it could have then been more negative than positive. Whereas I think all the things that Nick Montgomery could bring to the table or that I think he will bring to the table, I've seen a real change in certain people's attitude or mentality towards the appointment. And I know it's probably a minority as it is anyway. Once people have started to listen to the podcasts that he's done, the interviews that he's done, the documentaries that he's been involved in and done the research a little bit more, it's I'm not surprised to see that people are now kind of just fully behind it and like what they're hearing and like what they're seeing. Yeah, I think the phrase, obviously, talk is cheap. The folk will want to see action on the park, but like you say, from the limited sort of what we've been able to actually see, he has delivered on the park. And I have no doubt, you know, when you hear about the sort of the noises coming out about, you know, Johnson not really taking much time at training, you know, and not doing a lot of stuff on the grass. Uh, there's even sort of rumours about him walking about. Players are training, he's got his phone in his hand, scrolling away, turning up late for training, things like that. Obviously, this is all rumours, so it could be a lot of shite. But when you look at the way we actually performed on the park, you know, the real, that lack of, I think Aidan McGeady referenced it as well when he spoke about standards. Um, you know, standards weren't to what he, not to his level, but to what he would expect based on the career that he's had. And I think it's telling that Johnson's walked into a job somewhere like Fleetwood. You know, it's no disrespect to them, but if Johnson was in situ at Hibs and Fleetwood came calling, it would, like, we wouldn't even pick the phone up. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be it'll be good for the players anyway to have someone on the park with them coaching. You know, I think from what he's spoken about, he's he loves the he said about you know it's not just he's not just about developing players, he's about developing the coaching staff as well. So giving David Gray especially a lot of hands on. I know there was sort of talk about what was Gray's involvement under Johnson. I believe he was the set piece coach, but if Gray wants to be a manager himself one day. He can't manage just based on the fact that he'd done set pieces at Hibs for three years. You know, he needs on-the-grass coaching, on-the-grass support. And I think that Montgomery is going to give that. Montgomery seems a very much like, whatever I've got in front of me, I'm going to do my damnedest to improve it. 
whether it's a 19-year-old on the cusp of the first team or whether it's going to be Lewis Stevenson at 36, Paul Hanlon at 33, he'll do what he can and give the tools to every player to try and make them better. And like I said, with the attacking talent, especially that we've got, um, you know, it's... It is really, I can't help but get excited about what's potentially to come. And I get this could, the, the natural pessimist in me thinks, fuck, what if this all falls flat on its arse and nothing, absolutely nothing comes of it. But I felt like that a bit with Johnson. It was a bit like, oh, really? Maloney was a bit, oh, all right. Ross was like, mm, okay. But is this, this just has a completely different feel. This, I feel could be that sort of missing piece of the jigsaw. Everything off the park is running smooth. We've done so many upgrades in terms of the big screens, the hospitality, the investment in the pitch, not only Easter Road, but East Mains. Even the trackside having green turf around it and not the shitty fucking gravel that was there before. Everything is just set. And I just, I feel that this is that one, that one wee bit that's been missing to really take us to push us onto that next level. Yeah, he makes reference to um, the club as a whole and the playing staff in particular in his interview as well, where he talks about, um, obviously, it goes without saying any Hibs manager wants Hibs to be successful, but he talks about how the fact that we have a really, really strong squad here already, and I don't doubt that. I think from a squad perspective, we have one of the strongest out with the old firm, if not the strongest. It's just about finding the right blend, formation, and if we can bring all of that together, and if he can find that sooner rather than later, I don't have any concerns whatsoever about if we can get it right on the park that we'll be flying. And a bit of consistency and playing players in the right position. And I think he'll bring us back to the basics and he'll do that. He won't overcomplicate anything. We won't hopefully hear any match day minus one nonsense yeah. in any of his interviews as well. And he also talks about, from the bigger piece within the club, referencing the academy he's, all, he's clearly already done his research because he knows and he or makes reference to the fact that they've got a lot of great young talent already within the academy and those that have came through the academy into the first team already so it just touches on the point you made earlier about the young players that have been in and around the first team it will be really interesting to see especially in our upcoming games or the, the league cup game for example obviously hoping that he takes that seriously which I don't have any doubt that he will but it'll be interesting to see after three or four or five games, what his team and his shape and his formation is going to be looking like. And I think the fact that he's assistant as well, considering how the two of them are, are so close and the fact that Sergio speaks seven languages and his experience across the whole of Europe, not just in Portugal, I think that'll set us in good stead. Um, I remember listening to one of the podcasts and they make reference to the fact that the six players that we were talking about earlier three or four of them left within the, the window prior to them winning the grand final. So they had to do a wee bit of a rebuild. They had to give a chance on a couple of older players. There was one in particular that was like 29 years old. Can't remember the player's name. But he'd but never had a pro contract before. Nah, never had a pro contract, came in and was flying. So he's willing to take the chance, not only on younger players, but on older players that are maybe not being given that chance before. Yeah. And it just gives us another example to show that players that have maybe been out of favour or maybe being asked to do too much by other sets of managers are maybe just going to get that break that they need. 
Yeah. No, you're right. And I think when you look at, you know, in terms of his coaching, if he loves coaching, he must be rubbing his hands at getting his, you know, looking at players like Eli Yuan, for example, getting to coach him and coaching that, you know, you've sat beside me at the games, you've seen what I'm like when he gets the ball and he doesn't pass and he doesn't release it. Like, there's there's one straight off the bat that if you can get, if, even if you improve his decision-making slightly, like, even slightly, like, there's a player who will rip most of the teams in the league apart with his, with his pure pace. And if he can get that decision making better, I mean, he's his team's averaging over two goals a game during his time at the Mariners, and he's got he's not exactly got a horrific first sort of two weeks in charge. Like we've got, obviously, we've got Kelly on Saturday, which will be tough. Um, it wouldn't surprise me as such if he leans more on Gray for that game in terms of you know what's going to be the right personnel how our command are going to shape up, etc. But then we've got a run of three home games in a week. Uh, we've got St Johnston at home, St Mirren in the League Cup on the Wednesday, and then Dundee the following Saturday. Now that's, you're looking at it like when we looked at the fixtures when they came out, we're thinking, fucking hell, that's a decent, decent start. As it comes, we've lost three of the ones we thought we'd win, and we've won the one that we thought we'd lose. So, He's definitely got an opportunity to get off to a good start, and especially with that St Mirren game, he's one game away for, for Hamden already. Like, and then obviously it leads into the the first derby of the season away at Tynecastle on the the seventh of October. So he's got a a decent ish period of time to get his ideas embedded, especially before that derby. Anyway. Yeah, speaking of ideas as well, I think the fact that <clears throat> like a lot of clubs. In Scotland at the moment, they have a lot of Australian players or players with Australian um, experience. And I think the fact that Lewis Miller speaks so well of him, Lewis says that he wouldn't be where he is now if it wasn't for Nick Montgomery anyway. Um, LaFondre as well, obviously, coming up against him. That's what I'm saying. Experience in the A-League, not necessarily just Australian. You've then got Jago, who although... This obviously came from other leagues as well. He is, he'll obviously be aware of the A-League and aware of what Nick Montgomery brings to that league or has brought to that league yep. through friends and family. And then you've got Martin Boyle, who's in the, the Australian sure. setup as well. So I think in regards to getting the players to buy in, he's got, well, you've got Lewis Miller, Martin Boyle, Jago and Adam LaFondra, four big either starters or four big first-team players who... Just big personalities in the body. Correct. If if they're able to buy into it and understand what he's able to bring to the club and to them personally, then I don't see why we can't get off to a flyer. I, I'm in full agreement with you that he'll probably lean on Gray a little bit more. He'll try and make his mark a little bit, but he'll want to try and keep it simple just to try and get points on the board. Probably try and get that game out of the way because from his perspective, it'd probably be more of an annoyance that we've got some away on international duty, so he's not going to have everyone there. Yeah. But the three home games you'll be looking to take, you know, three wins for there as well. Aye. Is there anybody that you feel looking at the squad in the way it is just now? He's he's came out today and what I've what I like about him is he's very much there doesn't seem to be any sort of shades of grey with him. You know, he's very much black or white down the line. Um you know, is is there anybody that you feel in the squad based on how he's communicated that I'll really benefit from him being in there? 
I think looking at it, he'll be rubbing his hands at getting getting to grips with somebody like Josh Campbell, for example, Ellie Yuan, even Rocky at the back. Um, I mean, if he can make if he can make Kyle Rose look like a world beater, surely he's got a chance with with Rocky as well. I'm actually quite intrigued to see how he handles the the more attacking options in regards to Dodge, Fenty, Lafondra. Uh, he'll obviously know himself what Lafondra brings to the table. Venti, 700 grand sign-in, but then you've got Deutsch, who arguably has been our best player this season. So yeah. I think with everything that we've spoke about and talking about older, player getting ch- older players getting chances or people that where their careers looked like they were dead and buried at certain clubs and then looking at where they are now, I think even Deutsch will be rubbing his hands as well at the prospect of having someone like that there. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the younger players as well. I think they'll be looking forward to that because they'll see the fact that he's able to give younger players an opportunity. Obviously, we have quite a few that are out on loan, and rightly so, and I get that. But even the players that are away out on loan, they'll be wanting to impress because he looks like the type of manager that would keep tracks, keep in contact with them, and then obviously be aware of how they're getting on. So if their loan gets cut short or comes to an end, or maybe even for next season, he'll already be looking at what these players can maybe bring to the squad. Well, you look at players who would like, so for example, Melkerson, Nohan Kenna, um, even the boys that are out on loan, you know, Murray Aiken, Josh O'Connor, etc. They are probably looking at it thinking, because by all accounts, you know, especially Melkerson um, and Kenna, Johnson was never too, you know, he never spoke about them in any great sort of positivity when he was talking about them in the media. Um, and the thing I like about Montgomery as well is that he never came in. Oh, the the training facilities are amazing. The stadium's amazing. The oh, the support's amazing. He, you know, he was like, he was very fact of matter. A matter of fact, sorry, fact of matter. Jesus Christ. Um, that you know, he was like, you should have. It's a privilege to play for this club. You should have pride everything you pull in that jersey. And regardless of whether we've got a ten thousand or a twenty thousand seater stadium, our own training park or a you know, a patch of grass around the back of Wardy caked in Dugshite. Whenever you turn up, you turn up and you work your arse off. And I think that's what we want to see now. We want to see a team that is just going to battle and battle and battle. I say that we're too easy, not even just to beat, we're too easy to score against. And I'm sick fed up of it. I couldn't be, I'm not asked if we're playing... Fucking thirty pass football before it's you know an overhead kick for fucking Will Fish goes in the net. I couldn't care. I just want to see us being competitive against teams that we should be not blown away, but we should be more than competitive against. Yeah, and no, I think he'll instill, instill the mindset. He'll demand that from the players. Johnson, like I've, I said it before, could you even in my workplace if I worked and Johnson was my manager and he came and spoke to me, I'd be like, "Am I all right, mate?" Like sand, whereas Johnson just seems eh, sorry Montgomery seems to have that not aura about him, but just seems like he's you know it'll be very it'll be very fair, but if you try to step out of line, like you'll you'll soon you'll soon see that he's not to be messed with. Yeah, he definitely demands a certain level of respect, and he certainly demands a certain level of performance, and he's got that expectation of again principles, and I think a lot of their squad would be able to adhere to that. And I don't see why he would have any 
issues with anyone in the squad. So it just comes back to the point about not only the players that have maybe been out of favour, but the players that are doing well. I think the fair chunk of that squad, if not all of them, will be rubbing their hands and think, listen, I could I could give this a real good go, maybe not be working under Lee Johnson. And I feel bad for some of the ones that have been shipped out on loan with the expectation that Lee Johnson was going to be here because yeah. those are the type of players that will now be like, oh, I wish I'd stayed or I wish that loan deal never got put through, especially the ones that were towards the end of the, the window. I've certainly got to feel for them because obviously Nick, especially for the next couple of months at least, will be trying to just concentrate on who he has at hand and try to get the best results while in the back and try to plan for the future, whereas they will be chomping at the bit to get back and wish they were already here. No, you're spot on. I think it's it's good to just have a bit of positivity um, about the club for a change. Uh, it makes a total mockery of me going on Super Scoreboard and saying that after the losing game, maybe there's something worth sticking with Johnson because that was not one of my high IQ <laughs> uh, calls. But I think what you say is quite see when you when you look at so you're talking about the players who've been out on loan and or whatever the chance they've got, right? When you talk about Dodge, like Dodge just came back in the summer and one thing I think that is quite disrespectful for a player is even if they've been out on loan, is if their number gets taken off them. So for so long, Dodge, ever since Dodge came in, he's been the number nine. And when he went out on loan last season, we didn't have a, another number nine. When he came back in the summer, he still wasn't number nine. He was given 23. And same with Nohan Kenna. Kenna was obviously number six at that point. We hadn't signed Dylan Levitt. And then, you know, Kenna's number gets given away as well. And I think it's testament to somebody like Dodge that he's obviously came back and thought, nah, Ken, what? You're trying to force me out. And I think there was talk about him being some sort of make weight in the deal for Dylan Levitt as well. And he's yeah. obviously went, nah, Ken, what? Not a chance. And I think he's actually... I could be wrong, but I do. I actually think for every league goal we've scored this season, he has either scored or he's assisted. Apart from um, Lafondre's against Aberdeen, but between him and Lafondre, they have been responsible for every single one of our goals, whether it's setting it up or scoring it themselves. Yeah, not correct. And I think it it comes back to the fact that. <clears throat> considering how big a part those two have played so far this season, it will be interesting to see, again, going back to my point, how he handles the, the attacking options um, because those two have gelled and worked really, really well together. He just needs to go back to the Aberdeen game where traditionally very, very tough place for us to go and pick up anything, never mind three points. Those two come on after Venti's worked his absolute backside off and then got a goal and assist and we've came back down the road winners. Yeah. So I think that, that plays a huge part. And I think that kind of level of performance, if Nick's watched that, which he will have done, he'll be able to take a lot of confidence out of that performance. And the Luzerne games, for example, he'll be able to see what the squad's really, really about when it matters um, in comparison to like the league, the league victories, or the league losses, sorry, league games leading into Johnson's the end of his tenure. No, I agree. And it's like I said, we'll we'll move on to our sort of the questions that we've got. I know kind of put the tweet out a bit late, um, because we weren't sure one what time we would record and, and two, based on the 
the stag do exploits of the weekend, who was actually going to be available. Now it's time to enter the hip ramble listener questions. Um, so obviously we'll start with the same one that we always do every week. Uh, for John, what's Nick Montgomery having for tea? So I don't know what his cuisine, what the cuisine's like. What what would he, if he was in Australia, Sean, what would a typical sports person be having for his tea? Um, he gives me... He gives me the vibe that he is a massive fan of steak pie and chips. Aye. Covered and covered and covered in gravy. That's the vibe I get off him. He looks yeah. like he's proper, proper English scran. Like a butcher steak pie as well. Oh, like huge. Big, like thick a... crust and everything. Aye. Um, what did you send me a photo of your tea? What did you actually have? Aye, it was um, basically fancy sausage and mash. All oh, right, well, I'm having uh, pasta bolognese after we're finished. Hmm. I've been sm- honestly, I've been smelling it since Emma started cooking it. it smells incredible. Um, the, this one for Scott McIntosh, who's a jambo, uh, but he's weirdly enough, right? Weirdly enough, he's one of the good ones. Loves the jambo. Exists out there. Um, is it fair to say that the club are trying to look long term with this appointment? Would it have been easy to hire a McInnes or Robinson to come in and shore up the defence? And although short term that would appease fans, the circular conversations around style of play would crop up. Scott, I do like you in clashes, mate, but you're nowhere near big enough for for the uh, Twitter blue. So these tweets are not, for, or sorry, these X's are not for me. Uh, with this appointment, patience will be required, and results will possibly still be inconsistent until he has two transfer windows to fix the issues in the goalkeeper and defensive areas. Well. Touching on the just before we touch on this last point, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier on. Do you know what I mean? We answered kind of the vast majority of that earlier on um, yeah. about the type of appointment that we could have went for, but we've not. And I think that says a lot that the board at times have been willing to take a risk, maybe try to go a little bit safer with Johnson in regards to 500 games under his belt, lots of experience, and that still didn't seem to work out. So I like the fact that <clears throat> the club are going back to what we deem as the club's identity and philosophy and what we want out of our manager and hopefully that's what he's able to bring. And I have no doubt he'll be able to shore us up at the back. No doubt at all. No, I agree. And he even referenced Marshall as well in his interview because he played to him at one point. And I think one of his games for the under-21s or for the Scotland Futures was actually at Easter Road. Uh, it was at Easter Road. Um, right, do you know what? We'll go for the... On the appointment, I'll just read it a few. Uh, John Tommy's buzzing. Uh, Kev Wilson uh, tweeted us with a gif uh, this time next season, uh, UEFA Champions League. Stephen Dowling says, can't fucking wait. Monty Revolution is here. Vinnie Mackay, three-year deal means 2.5 years of payoff when he gets his jotters. Underwhelming doesn't even come close. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Seems okay. Paul Mackay says, seems okay, only time will tell. However, we need to give him 100% support and a little time. Disco says, optimistic, you've got to be at the beginning, surely get behind him and the team. Douglas Armstrong, brilliant, haven't been excited about a new manager for ages. Kind of what I touched on earlier, like that initial excitement. Uh, watched the Cummins documentary and saw a few flashes of his man management. Maybe there's this, that's the secret sauce we've been missing. Dot, 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 there's me talking about sauce again. Uh, Western Rifleman, I don't think that's your actual name mate, but fair enough. 
Uh, still not convinced, but he's our manager now, so we'll get 100% support from me. And I think it's important to say that just because we're excited doesn't mean that everyone else is going to be excited. There will naturally be people sceptical, like I said, because of his where he's come, you know, coming from Australia. Um, you know, he's not managed in Scottish football before. He's never, he's not played in Scottish football before. He's only been a manager for a year or two, so we, we get the reservations. <clears throat> However, hopefully, based on what me and Sean have spoken about, it can kind of turn you from an unconvinced. To, uh, we're all aboard the Monty train, toot fucking toot. That's because that's where me and Sean are. Me and Sean are high IQ football gentlemen, and we are backing this all the way out the station. Stubbs and um, Mowbray didn't have managerial experience in Scotland, whereas Bobby Williamson and uh, Terry Butcher did. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't always doesn't always fit the criteria. So let's just get behind them and hope for the best. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Bell says generally genuinely quite excited by this. Although he has a few years' experience as a number one, it has a Mulberry kind of feel about it. See what I mean? The Ramblers are high IQ individuals. That's because I said that last night, and Stephen said it today, and we've not spoken. So, uh, Drum Chapel Hibbs says I'm usually wrong, so fuck knows. Looking forward to hearing from him though. Usually you get a decent idea once you hear the first interview. And like I said, he spoke very matter of fact, right down the line. There's no ifs, ands or buts with him. Uh, Graham Whiteman says, I listened to a podcast he was on and he came over very well. Highly highly respected by top coaches in the game. And Jed says, delighted, can't wait for Saturday already. So, Plus there's a lot of good songs coming out with Nick Montgomery's name on it. And that is also a huge, huge thing to look forward to. He fits into the Stubbsy, the old Stubbsy chant. Are you uh, going to give us a rendition? No. Okay. Um, he also, we'll wait for Saturday. Nick Montgomery's Green and White Army kind of just also rolls off the tongue as well. Um, Jack, should we expect to get the best out of our young players with him in charge? I think we've kind of covered that. He's, but at the same time, I wouldn't, I don't want him to play guys just because they're academy prospects. Play them if they're good enough. Um, guys like, you know, Kanai Omegwa will probably get a chance. Uh, Rudy Malotnikov will get a chance. Ruben McAllister. Um, potentially, I don't think. But, but then guys like, obviously, Oscar McIntyre and that out on loan. Murray Aiken, Josh O'Connor, they've always got the chance to come back in January. <clears throat> um, Stevens also asked, hey, can Montgomery work some football and magic and get McCurdy to start firing the goals when fit? I think McCurdy's going to be our Cummins. The the Mariners Cummins is our is the Hibs Harry McCurdy, I think. A wee arm round the shoulder, couple with a kick up the arse. And I believe a two up top system would actually suit McCurdy. I don't know about oh, you. A two up top is what he needs, 100%. Um, Cannon Hannon said, uh, anyone else think if you're a lazy sod on the park, you won't be around for long? Um, I don't know if he's referring to Montgomery won't suffer fools gladly. Like if you're not pulling your weight, you'll get ripped off, or you just suspect. won't play. Yeah, suspect that. Uh, Jed says, which players do you think will thrive with Nick's style of play, and which players do you think will not hit the mark? Well, I, I think that Ellie, you, I've seen people saying online that because Montgomery doesn't like selfish players, that Yuan's tease it. Like I don't agree with that at all. I think Yuan's the perfect for a coach. Yuan is the perfect player. 
to coaching knock those two or three bad habits out of him. And he, he would genuinely, we've seen him at times, Sean, and he's, he's been unplayable even when he's got those habits. So imagine what it'll be like when the bad habits can get knocked out of him. Yeah. I'd like to see how he, how Joe Newell and uh, GDH, or even like Josh Campbell or Jago, just anyone in the middle of that park, depending on whether we play a two or play a three, um, based on watching Central Coast the last couple of years, it'll be interesting to see, one, how does he get that balance, and two, what kind of role is he going to ask from two or three of those players? I think if he's fit, if I was to pick one player I think would thrive, if he's fit, I think he would love uh, Jake Doyle Hayes. 100%, aye. Like, but he, he needs to be fit. And which players do you think will not hit the mark? Um, I don't know, it's a bit harsh to maybe signal out. Maybe Venti, because we're not quite sure what Venti can really bring to the table yet. He's not really had a lot of chances. That I, I think I it'll depend on, again, it's all down to speculation at the moment, whether he's going to play a 4-4-2 or whether he's going to change it a little bit. I yep. think he would do really well with someone up and around him or closer to him as well and just give him the licence to just be in and around that box. You know, do you know what I mean? I don't really yeah. I don't really want my number nine doing much else than sitting in the box and scoring goals, which is exactly what Cummins done for, for them, but just yep. with a better work rate. And I do think he did, based on the Aberdeen game, he worked his arse off. Um, and was probably just unfortunate that in terms of the players that came on were able to have so he sort of ran the Aberdeen defence into the ground which allowed you know the space for guys like Lafondre and, and Deutsch to, to create the chances and score the goals that they did um, but I think we've definitely got a strong forward line in terms of out and out strikers with Venti, Lafondre and Deutsch yeah. almost got the perfect, we've got the young one who's desperate to make an impression we've got the older one who's been around the block and is happy to play that sort of maybe bit part role coming off the bench and then we've got the returning player who's desperate to prove a point we've got players in the sort of right you know we've not got three strikers all with the same aim we've not got three strikers that are all the same age with the same attributes each striker can offer us something different um which kind of leads us on to uh, john Tommy says he decided to take it into his own hands and try out two pies from easter road uh, he would have to say one was far superior to the other but that means fuck all because you've not told us what pies that is that you got and why it was superior to the other uh, anyway who starts up top for you and how many do you play two up top or the one with Boyle and you on either side like, John, needs, John needs to do better with the first part of that question you had me you had me hooked in with the first part that's a word that you were going through it and then I wanted I wanted more I need I need the rest of the information we need Scott to share his Twitter blue to allow him the characters to finish mm. off that tweet. Um, sorry, John, finish off your tweet. Tell us what pies you got and why one was far superior to the other. What made it superior and what made the other one inferior? Um, but I think, like I said, like we said for the game on Saturday, I think it will be a case of uh, leaning on grey. So we might stick with the four-three-three just to give him a wee bit longer to embed that sort of maybe tried and trusted 442. Yeah, but who knows? Uh, and Harvey's asking who's sexier, Joe Newell or Sean Connor again? Put me in a rock and a hard place here, like I'm not gonna lie. I will I've seen this, right? And you won't be offended by me saying this. Joe Newell has got far, far superior hair than you. Oh one well, <laughs> that 
It's not even a contest. Not even a contest. I tell you, what, if I had John, if I had John Neal's set of hair, like I'd, I'd be doing all right. Aye. But nah, John Neal's a far superior handsome man than I am. I take, I take the compliment now. John Neal's. If I'm in the, if I'm in the conversation, I'm doing all right. Joe, I'll, I'll put it this way, right? If I was to be picking between John Neal and Sean Corrigan, John Neal's the kind of guy that would whisk me away on a on a night of adventure and, and whatever, right? And I'd probably never phone me again in the morning. No, I 100% would not. Whereas I, would, I would take Sean home to meet my parents. And they would be very, very pleased with the choice I'd made, I think. Thanks, Greg. That means a lot. You're welcome, mate. And finally, we've got a wee overrated, underrated. Shameless stolen from the Have a Word podcast, uh, which is absolutely sensational. Listening, if you don't listen to it, you should. Um, so we've got f- six, six here. We'll go. So overrated or underrated? So are you, are you going to allow me to give a small reason into these? Ah, that's the point. Aye, that's, so aye, that's fine. Uh, aye, go for it. Overrated, underrated, Soul Bamba. I'll go overrated. I will also go overrated, but I Soul Bamba is one of my favourite all-time Hibs players. Um, but I'm going overrated purely because I never really saw anyone really criticise him that much. And I think looking back, a lot of people look at him maybe far too fondly. If we compare other centre halves, yeah. When you look at those sort of maverick centre half, compare them to somebody like Effie Ambrose. Um, if social media was as prevalent in Bamba's day as it was in Ambrose's day, I think he would be looked back on a bit differently. So I, I would, I would say the same. Overrated. Uh, Vikinta Slivka. Underrated purely because of the company that he had at the time. And never really got a run of games. That's why I would say overrated. Because he was here for like three years and done nothing. Yeah. A bit harsh. Probably a really a bit harsh, but again, overrated. Um, Ian Murray. First spell, underrated. Second yeah, I... I wouldn't even say he's overrated for his second spell. But his, his first spell, I felt he was underrated. I thought he was a really good... He was actually a really good centre midfielder before he got his. I think he had done his Achilles. I was I was going to say underrated and overrated, like it's it switched after he after he left. But even the overrated part would be incredibly harsh. Yeah. No, I was he, was, he was in a he was in a poor Hibs team at the time as well when he came back the second time. I mean, he scored one of the one of my favourite goals I've ever seen at Easter Road. He picked the ball up on like the halfway line. And just drove to the edge of the box and placed it in the top corner. I think it was against Dundee United. Um, it would have been the same season that we. The only thing I can remember for that season is we drew four all the Harps. Because that's I remember the, that strip with like the the two strip. lines to the side. Ah, horrible. Uh, next one, Colin Nash. Massively underrated. Yep. Big big Nishy fan here. I think it's because of the the quality players that we had around him in regards to the attack, like Radden and Stokes. I think yep. he's under appreciate. He was underappreciated at the time because maybe a bit of snobbery from Hibs fans more than anything else. He was a poundland in Zaggy in the fact that he was born offside. Um, even watching the Masters the other night, he was 
Like, I know you don't get offsides in those games. But he was constantly, he was almost sitting on the keeper's head at times. But I, Big Nish is underrated for me. I used to love it when he uh, warmed up. Because uh, when I sat in the Famous Five, when the players used to come to warm up, can you get the wee claps? Whenever it was Nish, I'd be up. Rattling my hand, I sat at the front, so I would be banging the thing, giving it Nishy. The other folks that sat around about me used to just like look at me and have to say, "What the fuck are you slavering about?" So I, uh, John Collins as manager, underrated. Overrated. Yeah, Overrated. people still want him to come back now. Nah, won the cup with Mowbray's team. Aye, and Matt, like just look at shot the... it and shot it to pieces as well. Shot the side to pieces. Look at the team that started. Who did he sign? Look at the team that won the cup. Who did he sign in that team? Yeah. The only one that he well, he, what he promoted Andy McNeil, but the choice of goalkeeper at that time wasn't exactly fucking sterling, was it? Uh, and finally, underrated or overrated? Let's all do the high beast bounce chant. I'm gonna go. I saw this question, and when I read it the first time round, I I thought overrated, but see it like an away game. If it's bouncing, like the thought of that makes me want to lean more towards underrated because we don't see it. We don't see it anywhere near as often as we used to. Yeah, it's one of those. It's a that's a two slash three nil lead at Ibrox chant. Um, so I thanks to thanks to the king of the sketchers, Liam Riley, for that. Keep um, on coming, Liam. Keep on coming. And uh, the last one that we got on Instagram from Jake Nicholson, score predictions for Saturday. Are you guys going? Are you excited? Um, Jake, if you're a long-time listener, you'll know that I don't give my predictions until Saturday. Um, I'm not going this weekend. I'm not going to make a prior engagement. And the fact that, if I'm being brutally honest, as much as I'd love to go because it's Montgomery's first game, I would fucking hate to pay 25, 30 quid to watch that plastic pitch. So, um, no, we'll be attending all three home games following, plus the derby at Tyne Castle. What about you, Sean? Are you going on Saturday? Um, I feel like I've not stopped for the last two or three weeks, so I don't even know what I've got on apart from Liam's wedding on the Sunday. I feel like I've maybe got something on. Maybe that might be Kelly away. I don't know. I love I love Kelly away. Huge, huge fan of it. Um, I'm going to go 3 nil Hibs. And that is a huge shout considering the results that Kelly have had and the lack of shots that they've had on their goal. But I'm going to go three 0 Hibs. This has a this has a makings of that. Remember the Steve Clark game where they played us off the park allegedly, but we won three 0 Yeah, under Lennon, I think. Um, is that right, so I... the black strip. Yeah, black strip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will refrain from giving my prediction until you ask for it on Saturday morning for the pre-match tweet. Yeah. So other than that, we'll just wrap up. Obviously, Liam, as Sean's referenced, um, best wishes to Liam. He's getting married to the lovely Megan on Sunday, completing the the family of uh, Liam, Megan, Myla and we Tommy. Uh, some, by the way, that house must be some fucking riot on a nightly basis. Liam, Sent a photo this morning, being back from his stag do, and uh, uh, he's not he's not looking 
he's not looking too good. And Mark was actually he never supposed normally is though. He never normally is. Mark was supposed to be on, but sent us a message when I said, "Are we good to go for half five? Mark was just like, "Go on without me, lads. Yeah, I'm a man down." So yeah, that is a big switch considering he. What did he say earlier on? Did he say, and I could be wrong with the quote here, that he was feeling fresh? Yeah, he was feeling fine or fresh, something like that. Or he was all Feel sound. Aye. At half ten, so he was very premature with his prediction there. Yeah. So, yeah. That's been that's been a, that's been a that's been setting deep for a mod day, and it's probably had him up at maybe half three, four o'clock. I do. I feel bad for Megan looking after three burns like. It's tough. Aye. Well, nah, to be fair, the Bairns are probably all right. Liam's probably the issue. Aye. I would say. But um, aye, even though we are the ramble with Liam, obviously, if you'd like to wish Liam all the best, send us a tweet. Send us your favourite Liam moment. Or abuse. Or abuse. I send him whatever abuse you want. I don't I genuinely don't care. I I, I wished him nothing but hardship on his stag. I, I, I actually hoped he'd have a terrible time. I was close to what was it? What was it he was doing? Oh no, we were going to. I was going to phone Edinburgh Airport on Friday morning and say that somebody was smuggling drugs up their arse and that he was a. I would have said the the big fat guy with the shite haircut, and they would have known immediately it was him. Um, but now nah, we wish wish them all the best in Will Betty's wedding on Sunday. Uh, the first ramble nuptials. It'd be interesting to see who's next because we're all coupled up. I don't think it'll be you. No, no, you're <laughs> correct. I'm glad you said it. That's all I get asked. It will not be me. So I, uh, we'll wrap it up. We'll be back on Monday. Granted, it could be me and Sean again next Monday, depending on how the the wedding goes, because it's on Sunday. Great company, great pod, great episode. That's all that matters. Yep, exactly. So we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. If you don't already, you should do. The Hibs Ramble across Facebook. I refuse to call it anything other than Twitter, Instagram. Let us know your thoughts about Montgomery, what we've spoke about tonight. If there's anything you agree with, disagree with, get in touch and we'll interact with you during the week and then we'll see you back here next Monday. Cheers. Let's get ready to rumble.